Our scripture lesson today is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I grew up uh, with my favorite stories as a, as a kid. Uh, Daniel 3, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to look at the middle of the story here, um, and then um, I'll kind of back us into it. So let's share in God's good word together. Furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'm giving you a second chance. But from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. If you don't worship it, you will be pitched into a roaring furnace, no questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. They said they wouldn't have chosen me if they didn't see something I don't see yet. I see it. You had the ability to overcome fear. Stay here. No problem. If you die, innocent lives will be lost. Your world will be annihilated. Help me save my planet. Fight it. Fight it with me. Brightest day. Blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green lanterns light! Dun, dun, dun. Did you know Green Lantern's in the Bible? He's not. But, but I love him. He's so cool. He's my favorite of all the heroes. And do you know why? Because you could be Green Lantern. I could be Green Lantern. All you got to do is find the ring. Right? You slide it on there. You hook it up to the lantern and fight evil with all your might. That's it. It's awesome. You say, I mean, Superman's okay, but really, I mean, he's an alien from another world. Scary. Or, you know, or Batman seems a little dark these days. But Green Lantern, anybody could be Green Lantern. You could be Green Lantern. And so I want to lift up the Green Lantern as a metaphor uh, for a modern day version of what the Bible is talking about, about overcoming fear. We say overcoming fear with me, overcoming fear. That's what we find. It's a very powerful thing. Jesus says that in his perfect love, it casts out all what? All fear. Love casts out fear. And so when the angels show up to the shepherds or to Mary or to Joseph or to you and me today, the first thing they say is do not be what? Afraid. Don't be afraid. No fear, for I am with you is what Jesus says, the gift of Emmanuel. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Um, and we're going to move through this powerful story of what it is to overcome fear uh, and what God is doing in unexpected ways. I, I'll tell you up front that this story has three endings, uh, one of which you may already know. But each of them um, becomes more and more powerful, and, and the last one may actually blow your mind. Um, and so I just want to set that up that there are three different endings to this story. Um, and, and I hope that you'll really pray about all three of them as they intersect your life these days. So if you follow along with your sermon notes, uh, the Green Lantern uh, does some extraordinary things. But he does them not by himself, but a, a power greater than himself. Will you say that with me? A power greater than himself. He's nothing without the ring. And he's nothing without the community of the ring. You see, anybody can be a part of the Green Lantern community. It can be men, women, older, younger, uh, different universes. It doesn't matter. Um, This is a power that's greater than any individual. It's not a power that you hold in yourself. It's a power that's shared with you. Um, Light has overcome the darkness, the scripture tells us in John. 
And, and so you may have not remember this. Um, each of you who have been are members of the church uh, at some point came, walked up these stairs, and answered a set of questions that every United Methodist Christian uh, lives out. And so this is, this is how we live out our lives together. One of the questions uh, that I ask you, or that's been asked to you, if you're a part of the United Methodist Church anywhere in the world, is this. You read it with me. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Wow. That's, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Read it with me again. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And we say together collectively, we do. We do. Do we? I mean, this is, this is a big question. In, in whatever form they present themselves, politically, governmentally, in our businesses, in our schools, in our homes, wherever you see evil, wherever you see injustice, and whatever, whatever oppression happens, it is our responsibility now as people of light, of people of power of God living in us, of the resurrected Christ, to stand against it. You and I are Green Lantern people, right? Beware, evil, Christ's light in the darkness. So... To understand this, this story that we're about to look at with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we have to understand the time and the environment in which it is. And so we're, we've been moving through Bible heroes. We're halfway through. This is our fourth hero. Um, and and we'll, we'll finish up with Bible school with Hero Central. Uh, but a few weeks ago, we started with Noah, the very first Bible hero. That's all the way back in 3000 BC. That's 5,000 years ago. Uh, we know that there are floods. Archaeologists will, will, can prove that there are floods around Mesopotamia in the year 3000. So that's our first Bible hero. Uh, you go forward, um, you know, more than 1,000 years, and you come to Moses in 1400 B.C., 1300, when they actually escape Egypt. And that's, our, that's, that's the big Bible hero we looked at uh, last week around here, Moses. Now, I'll, I'll remind you that in these two stories, uh, God's action is different than it will be in this story. And it, and it can be a little confusing because this is Jewish history. This is written for particular people, God's people. And in Noah, what happens when God gets angry with the world? He wipes it out. That's it. Only Noah survives. When we get to Moses, uh, they've been enslaved from, by Egypt for 400 years. Moses, uh, God, through Moses, parts the sea. They walk across. And then what happens on the back end? All of Pharaoh's army is drowned. All of the Egyptians lose their firstborn. So God is for his people and wipes out everybody here. God is for his people and wipes, basically wipes out the nation of Egypt on the back end. This is how these stories are going. When you get to 1,000, we, we'll have King David. We'll talk about him in a couple weeks. Uh, and, and King David fought a guy named, what's his name? Goliath. Some of you know this story. And, and Goliath was a Philistine. And um, at that story, David cuts off his head and holds it up. Pretty gory. God with the Hebrews over and against the Philistines. By here, uh, the, the monarchy has uh, now divided uh, under King Solomon. Um, and in 722, uh, we have two, in 922, you have two different uh, nations. Uh, they're connected, uh, but it's a divided monarchy. It looks like this. So in the north, the northern kingdom is known as what, friends? I'll highlight it for you. Israel, right? Um, and then the southern kingdom is known as Judah, right? And so in 722, the kingdom of Israel is overrun by the Assyrians, which is modern-day Syria. So all these folks in the north are basically taken over to Syria. Uh, there's Damascus today, still there, uh, still in turmoil. And so all these people were now slaves over here. 
And a few hundred years later, uh, not even, um, Judah is overrun by the king of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq over here, Iran, Iraq, uh, Syria, all over here. Uh, Jordan will be right here today. Okay? And so if you're a Jewish person and you're about to hear this story, uh, you're about to to enter the story um, on the timeline over here. So the northern kingdom has fallen to Syria, right, in 722, southern kingdom in Judah in 586, and here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not going to be able to get back into Jerusalem until 536. They're still years from that. And so these are people who have, God's wiped everybody off the world, uh, wiped out the Egyptians, um, has wiped out the Philistines, um, struggled with the Canaanites and overrun that, Joshua, uh, all these folks. And now they have been slaves in the north, all their brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, all that, slaves in Syria, they're slaves in Iraq. This is a bad, dark time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are supposed to be beacons of hope. And that's where this story starts. It's at this mm, mid-500s that we find this story. It's when it's written, and and it's for these people who are not in their hometown. They're not in their own country. uh, They're undocumented. They've got no rights. They've got no privileges. And at worst, they're taken advantage of and beaten uh, and used as slaves. So much so that not only uh, is this the case, but the king gives them slave names. They don't even get to keep their names. Uh, one of the ways that you beat people down is by, you just call them, you know, you, you do this at family reunions. Hey, knucklehead, right? He's no longer Bill or Bob or whatever. It's knucklehead. Uh, and you just, it's a way of beating people down. Um, and that's, that's what it is. So if you do that in your family, just stop. Call them by their name. They have a name for a reason. It's nice. Unless it's a sweet name. Unless it's nice. Come on, follow with me, right? Right? And be nice to people. So this is, this is what they do. Now, this is important because their Hebrew names were important, and they were meaningful. Uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their real names. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called, say it with me, Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Okay? Uh, but but this, was a, this was a very purposeful uh, thing because if you actually knew Hebrew, you would know that these names are powerful. Hananiah means God is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped or God has helped. Now, if you're a Jewish person about to read this story, you're like, sweet, this is going to get good because these are the guys in the story, right? God's going to show up in this story if you're following along, if you're like paying attention. So uh, the story goes like this. King Nebuchadnezzar wants someone to tell him what he dreamed and what it means. Can you imagine going to work uh, tomorrow and you walk into your boss's 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 office and he says, hey, um, I had a dream last night, and, and I need you all to tell me what it means. Your first question is, well, okay, well, tell me about the dream, and, and we'll see if, if, you know, we can help out. And he goes, no, no, no. If you're really as sharp as, as I need you to be, you're going to tell me what I dreamed, and then you're going to tell me what it means. And what would you say? You can't do that. No, nobody can do that. Um, and that's basically what's going on here. The, the king, this is who this guy is. He is a megalomaniac, narcissist. He, everything's got to be about him. And so he's like, look, if you guys are in, any good at all, you're going to tell me what I dreamed uh, and what it means. So the Chaldeans answered the king. Now, Chaldeans is interesting because it's not so much an ethnic group as it is wise men, right? These, these are part of the cabinet uh, of the president, if you will. So these smart men answer the king. There is no one on earth who can reveal what the king demands. In fact, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or wise man. Chaldean. You see how that rolls there. That would be the third option. Okay? So the thing that the king is asking is too difficult, they say, and no one can reveal it to the king except the gods. 
right? Not, no mortal could do this. Whose dwelling is not with mortals. And because of this, the king flew into a violent rage, threw a fit, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon, these Chaldeans, be destroyed. All of them. Now, this is a problem because Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, are either going to be destroyed along with them or they're going to have to participate in their death. And so Daniel does what many of us do when we get in a tight. We ask for prayer. Uh, maybe we should have been praying long before that, but, but this is where we are. And so, you know, uh, if that happened to you, you went to work and your boss's boss's boss said, hey, tell me what I dreamed and the interpretation, you might call home and go, hey, honey, I need you to pray for me because my boss has lost it. And, and we may not have any work. Um, so this is how the scripture says it went down. Daniel goes to his home and he informed his companions, Hananiah. Uh, notice not their slave names. Right? These, these are the names of, of God working with them. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And he told them to seek mercy. That's what he's looking for. From the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions, right, these four, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Now you might think, what's the big deal about that? Who are the Babylonians? Remember the timeline? These are the people who have come into your home, taken your family, moved them to another country, and wiped out and burned your city to the ground. And Daniel is asking for mercy for these people and himself. Because it's sort of a package deal. Because if you don't get Nebuchadnezzar on the right page, you're dead and all the other people are dead. So he's asking for mercy around this. But that in itself is remarkable that he would, he would have some level of compassion for the people who were his captors, right? So as I was reading this, I thought there's, there's at least one thing that we can learn uh, before we get to the, the big parts of the story, and that is the power of intercession. Who are three people that you can call to pray? If you had something like this happen to you, maybe you have had bad things happen to you, who are three people in your life that you call to pray? When it comes down for Daniel, he goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to his three friends. And he says, pray for me. Pray that God would have mercy over the situation because I don't know what to do. Because King Nebuchadnezzar has lost it. I mean, who, who does that? Tells me, you know, what dream did I have? Well, you know, it happens God showed up. God told Daniel, and Daniel told the king his very dream and what it meant both. And, and of course, the king loses his mind over that. Uh, he's so impressed that he actually gives royal positions to Daniel um, and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, when, he, when he's able to interpret the dream. He gave him those positions. I think that's your blank there. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, he falls on his face and he worshiped Daniel. Oh, he was so close, right? He, he should have worshiped God, but no, he's worshiping Daniel because Daniel has blown his mind. And he commanded that a grain offering and incense be offered to him. The king said to Daniel, read it with me. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. He's starting to see this God that the Jews worship, right? For you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promotes Daniel. He gives him many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of, of Iraq today and chief prefect over the wise men of babylon daniel made a request of the king to appoint shadrach meshach and abednego over the affairs of the province of babylon okay now i want you to understand how bizarre this is it would be as if our president today took three undocumented workers with illegal status and put them on his cabinet right i mean that, that's what's happening here that, that this king is just crazy like that he sees something he likes and he just promotes them with no sort of standing background. And people are mad about that. I mean, they're really upset. They're like, what are these Jews ruling us? These people are slaves. What are they doing? And the king's like, no, 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 no. They can do some wild, wild stuff. You got you know, these guys are great. And so the king being the king, he makes a golden statue of himself and ordered everyone to worship it. Can you imagine that? Somebody do that? Like make a statue of themselves, uh, gold, and then like, hey, worship me. 
This is, this is what, what he's doing. Now, I want you to also see uh, the dimensions because it's pretty impressive. King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a gold statue, 90 feet high, and how thick? Nine feet thick. Well, I don't know about you, but that makes you a very tall, skinny dude. Right? It's a 10 to 1 ratio. Uh, that's quite a drop, right? I mean, 90 feet tall, 9 feet thick, tall, skinny dude. And he orders all the important leaders in the province, everybody who was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. And they all came for the dedication. All the important people were there. And they took their places before the statue that the king had erected. It was go time. And a herald then proclaimed with a loud voice, Attention, everyone! Every race, every color, every creed. Listen, when you hear the band strike up all the trumpets, trombones, tubas, baritones, drum cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Looks like him. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. Immediately. Now, when I was a kid, I would think to myself, that's weird. Why do they have a roaring furnace? Like, like who's got that? Well, apparently, everybody's got one of those. Uh, because... Uh, this was something we learned in Israel, that pretty much when you go through archaeological digs, uh, you find pieces of bone, uh, you find nails and metal that the Romans brought in. But you know what you find more of, like 40 to 1? Pottery. Everything's pottery. If you want to carry water, you've got to have a pot. Uh, if you want to hold wine, you've got to have uh, a ceramic pot. Uh, if you want to eat, you're using clay pots. And so this, everybody had one of these. Um, big furnaces you take the clay you form it you put it in the beehive kiln and voila you're good to go that's how ancient uh, the world worked and so that's what he's going to throw these folks in one of these that you know everybody had now this is interesting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they simply say no no we're we're not going to do it you can do with us what you want but we're not doing that you see, this is, this is really important, friends. David Brooks, in his book, The Road to Character, he writes this. He says, we can shoot for something higher than happiness. Do you believe that? See, in our lives, we can actually have lives of character. We can shoot for something higher than happiness. We can actually become deep people, people of character, people who make a difference in the world. We can shoot for something higher than happiness. We have a chance to take advantage of everyday occasions to build virtue in ourselves and be of service to the world. That's who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. They're people of character. And after the three exiled Jews, they refused. They said no. They were threatened with fire. Right? This is what's going to happen to you. I don't know about you, but when I think about a way to die, this is one of the bad ones, right? I don't, I don't want to die by fire, you know, a, a sweet heart attack in the middle of a nice dream when I'm 80. Great. Fire? No, right? I mean, this is scary stuff. So I want you to see this, though. Remember that these are enslaved people. The king has taken them and put them in levels of authority over the entire nation, and they say no, no. Do you know... How embarrassing that would be politically? Do you know how hard that would be on him? Do you think he might be a tad bit mad? Yes, the king is furious, not only because of the insubordination, that everybody does that, but these are the people he lifted up. And he, they've betrayed him. They have sold him out. They are not going to do what he does. Now, here's the thing he doesn't understand. Their God says this. The Shema is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is what? One. And you shall worship him what? Alone. The Lord is one. The Lord your God is one. Worship him alone, right? This is where monotheistic religions come from, from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one, alone, nobody else. You don't get to worship political power. You don't get to worship economic power. You don't get to worship might. 
You don't get to worship anything except God alone. And they know this. And so they don't have a choice about this. They're not going to do it because they're people of character. I wonder what we would do when we get in these tight spots. So we come to the intrigue, right? What will happen? Uh, How will they answer? If you're my age or older, you might have watched Batman. Not as cool as Green Lantern, but still cool. Batman, right? At the end of every Batman, um, he's like hung up by his feet over a a boiling vat of goo. And it says, dun-dun-dun, what will happen next? Will he escape the Joker? You know, da-da-da. Well, that's how this comes to the story. What will happen? How will they answer? Well, this is how they answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. Will you read it with me? O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Period. Okay? Wow. Do you see the power in that? We have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. We don't have to answer to you. We answer to a God, Jehovah, the Lord alone, the Lord who's one. We don't have to answer to you. You're mortal. You are a mortal. We don't worship mortals. And then they say this. If, if our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. That's right. They know the power of God. But then you have the most important three words in all of this story. And that is this. But if not. Will you say that with me? But if not. Now I wonder if you and I, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can say these words. But if not. Lord, I want this job. It's great for me. But if not, I'll still worship you. You're my God. Lord, we want a child. But if not, I'll still worship you. Lord, I want to be healed. But if not, you're still my God. Lord, I want there to be peace in my home. But if not, I'm still yours. You see, in the Christian world, we have this fallacy that somehow we're able to barter with God to get what we want. No, no. God's looking for our obedience, and we leave the results to God. That's what we learned from this story. This is ending number one, by the way, and it's the most important. If you are a Jew and you're reading this story, what you need to know is you can stand firm. You're a person of character. You're about something bigger than this life. You're about something eternal. You're, about, you're one of God's people, and nothing can shake you. Nothing. Not even the threat of being thrown into fire. No. Even if, even if God doesn't want to, we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. That's salty, isn't it? And that's how we need to be. There are certain things in our life that we just flat need to say no to. And we don't have to explain it. We don't need to get an argument about it. We're just not doing it. Because it's not who we are. It's not what God's people do. And they were very clear about this. And if you are a Jew in 500 BC, this is what you needed to know. Because you were asked all the time to do things that you don't believe in. They had taken away your land. They tried to take away the law, the Torah, but they couldn't do that. They tried to take away everything that made you you, even your name. And they say, no, there are certain things we can hold on to. And so the king is furious, insubordination and rage and betrayed. He's so angry, as a matter of fact, that he can't even think straight. So he, he gets some of his military folks and he has them lift them up. And in his rage, he orders the furnace to be made so hot that it kills some of his own men. Some of his own men. And, and, and some of you are in situations where you know how dangerous this is when you have people in power that don't think straight or make snap decisions. It's very, very dangerous. People get killed over it. And God doesn't, God doesn't save that. Um, they, they're on the wrong side of this. They're not people of God. And uh, they're, they're dead because their leaders making bad decisions. And so, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What are, why are they lifting them? Why aren't they just going in the, the fire? Well, because that's not how they did it. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell down. Well, where did they fall? 
Uh, you saw the little hole. Where are they going to? Bound. They were bound in the furnace of blazing fire. Now, being bound is a police action, right? You're either in handcuffs, or you're bound behind your back, or your feet and your hands. Th- th- what happens is, what you're seeing in this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are completely done, right? They're bound, and they are carrying them up to a very tall beehive kiln looks like this. So they're going to put a ladder to the side. They're going to carry these guys up. The heat's going to be so hot that the guys trying to throw them in die. They fall in, and they fall down to the bottom where you see the little opening. See the little opening there? That's what the king's looking for. So even the fall should kill you, right? The heat should kill you. But then, right, that's what's going to get you, the fire. But the good news of the story is this. This is ending number two. There are four men. Four men, when they look in the little thing, there's not three guys. There's four. And they're not bound. They're walking around. They're completely free. And what, what we're supposed to learn from this is, if the fire can't get them, the king's got no chance. Right? If God can make even the fire not touch them, then, then what are you afraid of mortals for? What are you afraid of the things you're afraid for? You don't have to be afraid anymore. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He, roses up, he rises up quickly and he says to his counselors, uh, I, I thought we put three guys in there. Right? Um, and we bound him in the fire. And they answered, no, 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 true, that's, that's right. But I see four men unbound, right? No longer bound. We don't know if they just burn off because of the heat or, or what happened. But miraculously, there's four guys walking around in the middle of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a God. The Hebrew actually says a son of God. Now, for us, uh, many of us, we think of that as Jesus, the very son of God. The Hebrews would not have thought that. Uh, they use the, the term son of God for any angel that appears on God's behalf. But for me, friends... I'm telling you, for me, it's Jesus because he's my salvation. He's the one I turn to in times of trouble, and he's the one that stands with me when the fire gets hot, right? He's the one I put my trust in. So the king approached the door of the furnace, the blazing fire. He sees the four guys, and he says, uh, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's starting to get it. Come out. Come here. So they do. They came out of the fire. And here's the best part for me. They don't even smell like smoke. That's what the scripture says. I mean, I can be like three blocks away from a campfire and I'll smell like smoke for two weeks. It's horrible, right? Um, so the scripture says it like this. The satraps, prefects, governors, kings, counselors, they all gather around and they see that the fire had not had any power, no power over the bodies of these guys. The hair of their heads, it wasn't even singed. Their tunics, their clothes, not harmed. And even the smell of fire, not even that came from them. So that's ending number two. But then we come to ending number three. And this, in some ways, is even more miraculous than ending number two. And that is, um, okay, if I'm Jewish, what do you, how do you think the story ends if I'm Jewish? This is what I'm expecting, right? So if I look at the Noah story, I look at the Moses story, what happens next is that the fire then shoots out of the furnace, takes around Nebuchadnezzar and all his men and smites them. That's what you would think happens. That's not what happens. The challenge is, is that the Hebrews and the Babylonians, the Babylonians, you're blank there, they're saved. King Nebuchadnezzar is so moved by what he sees God doing and sees the faithfulness of these men, his heart's changed. And he's saved as well. And imagine the power of that. Imagine the person that has done the worst to you in your life. God is still ready to use you, not only for your salvation, but for theirs as well. You see, Nebuchadnezzar says this, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How about that? You see how different that story is all of a sudden? 
the worst guy doing the worst things all of a sudden starts to get it. He who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. And now you can kind of see his true colors again. Any people, nation, and language that utters blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Still the same guy, but at least he's on the right team. Right? And their houses laid in ruins, blah, blah, blah. Right? He says, for there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And he's right about that. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, good things do happen to good people. And sometimes your character does pay off. And sometimes it actually transforms evil. It transforms people who are afraid. This is important stuff, friends. So the action step is this. When God lives in you, When you follow the power of the Holy Spirit, when you ask Jesus into your life, you are not powerless any longer. Amen? Look to somebody and tell them, you are not powerless. You're not powerless. The things that you think you couldn't do before, now you can do. You are not powerless. Take a step of faith in the face of political and economic power. When I was studying for this week, one of the things uh, that the writer said is basically in the face of the, the strongest power of the day, and the strong of the economy of the day, and they had everything to lose, friends. These were the elite. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were people who should not have been in the position that they were in, and they ruled over everybody, and they gave it all up. They risked it all. They risked it all. One writer called them political atheists, that they would no longer bow to political or financial or military power. Just wouldn't do it. Political atheists. The Lord, your God, is one. Worship him alone. Alone. So I want to ask you, what does that look like in your life? Now, some of you know this. Some of you don't. And that is that God will take care of you as you give yourself to him. God will take care of you. Do you believe that? God will take care of you as you give yourself to him. As you trust him with the next step. God's desire is not the destruction of the wicked or the sinner, but the transformation and redemption of it. That's what's so hard to believe. Imagine if you were an enslaved people, if you had had all that happen to you and God's going to save your captor. Yes. John three sixteen and 17 says it very clearly that God's will is not the destruction of the sinner, but the salvation. God so loved the what? The world. That includes those that are against us. Those that are even have been against God. God's will is that none should perish, not one, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. That's God's will for you for your friends, for everybody you know, even the people that you hate. God is working for their redemption and he might be willing to use you. The question is, are you willing to step forward for him? That's a big question for us, isn't it? Not just for our family and friends, but for the entire world. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen? Amen, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for all three endings of this story and we pray that you would help us find ourselves in it that you would help us be bold in you. That we would say yes to the things you call us to say yes to and that we would say no flatly to the things that simply are not um, a part of the people of God, the people who follow you. And so we thank you for your power that makes all things right. And we pray, Lord, that you make us be a people that live not for comfort, not for pleasure, not for just this day, but for you and for all eternity that heaven would truly come to earth. And so we pray the prayer that you taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.